top of the morning to you, everyone, and welcome to the St. Patrick's Day 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. Settle in with some Irish stew and a pint of Guinness is on the podcast this week. Our reporters who are on the ground give us their impressions of last week's events featuring Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. The massive legislation to reorganize the executive branch of state government is now on Governor Reynolds' desk, and the train companies have made a deal. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy. Aaron Gobra, everyone. The Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Slancha. Ah, well done. We have uh, either legitimately or if not honorary Irish woman Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. Where did the honorary Irish woman come from? Well, are you are you legitimately Irish? No. Well, that's I what I say. So today you're an honorary Irishman. Wow. All right. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. And, <laughs> finally, and finally, we have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Uh, Aaron, I wish uh, I was in Carrick, Fergus. <laughs> oh, man. All right. First up this week, we go back to last Friday and then Monday when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump each held their first events in Iowa this year. DeSantis is not yet officially a presidential candidate, but it's likely he will be soon enough. And Trump is officially running for president the third time. Both held events in Davenport, and DeSantis also held one in Des Moines. Uh, DeSantis was here a week ago Friday, a week ago as we taped this, and uh, Trump was here Monday. Uh, So, Sarah, you covered both of the events in Davenport. Uh, Let's hear your impressions. Uh, How did... The, the two candidates uh, sound, uh, did either of the Republican front runners refer to the other? Um, and what were the respective crowds like for, for these two? Yeah, so on uh, crowds, the um, DeSantis, he packed a uh, banquet hall in a casino. So a couple, several hundred people at about 8.30 on a Friday. So um, quite a few people there. And then Trump was obviously here on Monday evening. And um, the capacity of Adler, we determined, is about 2,400. Um, the campaign said it was more than that, but um, campaigns like to, to exaggerate a little bit um, across the board and of both parties. But uh, there were also several hundred of people uh, waiting outside trying to get into the Adler. Uh, so there was, there was definitely quite a few people there to see Trump um, from all over, from, from Illinois, from California, from just places all over the Midwest. So, um, and then on, on messaging, DeSantis, uh, I think we talked about last week, he really focused on his policies in Florida and his fights with leftists and against woke capitalism and um, and really touted that if, if Republicans go on the culture war offensive like he has in Florida, they can make some inroads uh, nationally and win some races nationally. Um, and and DeSantis did not mention, um, you know, he did not say he was running for president or mention um, former President Trump when he was talking. He answered questions from Governor Reynolds, and they really focused on on being governors of red states as uh, um, kind of a check on the on the Biden administration. Um, and he also did not take questions from the crowd or from the press. Um, so it was really kind of him orating and talking back and forth between uh, him and Kim Reynolds. And, and some of the lines that really got some of the most applause were when he talked about uh, um, uh, uh, the line of like where Florida, Florida is where woke goes to die. 
um, talking about education, banning, um, you know, teaching of sexual orientation, gender identity in, in elementary school. And um, another uh, line that got a lot of applause was, uh, was you know, um, a lot, of, I guess, a lot related to trans, uh, transgender Floridians and uh, how, you know, his policies related to education. And, and um, so, and then Trump, he, he really covered a broad range of topics. He talked about a lot about agriculture and his policy during the Trump administration, uh, uh, trade, with, trade with China, payouts to farmers, his stance on the renewable fuel standard. And uh, he did talk about DeSantis for a few minutes, took a few pot shots about at him, said he wasn't, billed him as not as supportive on ethanol and, and actually supported eliminating the renewable fuel standard. Um, and also as somebody who supports raising the age of social security, which um, DeSantis did support some while he was in Congress, support some uh, non-binding budget resolutions that, that aimed to make Social Security, Medicare more financially sustainable. Um, so, so that's a little bit about what the crowd size was like and what their messaging was like. DeSantis really avoided talking about um, Trump or national politics other than Biden, and uh, and Trump did take some some shots at DeSantis. Did he uh, did he deploy any of the nicknames uh, uh, for DeSantis? He he did. Which ones? Uh, first one he used was DeSanctus, and then he moved to DeSanctimonious. Still in the trial balloon phase of, of those ones. Uh, and, and Sarah, thank you for correctly noting, and, and I'm just full disclosure here. <laughs> I won't even ask our producer to edit this out. Let's just all see what an idiot I am. I totally forgot that we talked about the DeSanctus event on last week's podcast because it had been that morning, and Sarah was able to get on the podcast this afternoon. So I kind of prepared our questions thinking we hadn't covered this yet. So thanks for the reminder that we <laughs> touched on this last week. Uh, uh, the legislature has just absolutely fried my brain. If, if I, if I want to make an excuse for anything. <laughs> Although those two events are interwoven. So I think, right, I think right. okay. so it, it merits revisiting in, in comparison to each other. Absolutely. And that would be my other line of defense. Thank you, Jared. <laughs> Definitely. One thing too, that I'll note, like that was, I guess, different about the Trump format. Trump was really interactive with the crowd. Like people would yell things and he'd say, he like acknowledged them or like he had a question and answer like afterward with um, people asking him questions and, and DeSantis really pretty much just kept to questions and answers with, with governor Reynolds. Yeah, and to the, uh, so I covered DeSantis Friday night, um, um, and the, uh, the only thing, Sarah, you're right, he didn't say anything about Trump at that one either, other than he may have made a sort of veiled reference to him at that event, at that second event in Des Moines, where he referred to his administration has done all these things, and they've done it without um, controversy or, or leaks or, um, you know, legal issues or, or that kind of thing. I forget the, uh, forgive me, oh. I, I forget the exact phrasing he was using, but but it kind of, and, and I can't say this is exactly what he was doing, but it kind of sounded like, you know, I've been enacting all these conservative policies and meantime, I haven't been in trouble with the, you know, I haven't been impeached, I guess, you know, is, is essentially what he was saying there. So that may right. have been a... A, yeah, it may have been a veiled reference to his fellow frontrunner there. In theory, I get him kind of, you know, talking about stuff like that because people will at least tell you that they they don't want the drama and all the, the backbiting and all of that. 
but they also really like defending Trump. And, you know, he was in office for four years and had plenty of controversies and, you know, the basically still stuck by him. So when it comes down to it, a lot of people like the drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's such a great point. You're absolutely right. We hear that so often now that, uh, hey, I like everything that Trump did. I'm just tired of the circus. Um, and so that's why maybe they're shopping around for a different. But you're right, then at the end of the day, there's some that will go to the mattresses for him still, too. So. So just one thing that I would throw into that. So I heard that quite often talking to um, people who were waiting in line for the Trump event on, um, on, on Monday, saying that the reason why they're so drawn to Trump is because of the bravado, right? And so, yep. yeah. Yeah, yep. When I, when I talked to people too, like people were like, well, yeah, Trump's kind of divisive, but, you know, it didn't really bother me, you know? So they're trying to, I don't know how much, you know, people are thinking about what, other people are thinking. Right. I, I, um, I'm still incredibly dubious about this being an actual two-person race. One, because like you said at the top, Aaron, only one of them is actually running right now. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, and then, you know, we had the Des Moines Register uh, polling last week. And, you know, here at least the favorables weren't that far apart. But in New Hampshire, Trump's up double digits, and that's in a state that's been way more determinant for the GOP than Iowa in terms of, like, landing on the eventual, you know, nominee. And then, like you were also talking about, or maybe with Sarah, I've already forgotten because my brain is also fried. Um, <laughs> DeSantis doesn't do these events where he has to mix it up with a lot of people, and that's fine for now, but you can't hide on a debate stage, especially with Donald Trump also on the debate stage. That's not... That's not a winning strategy. Um, the, and then, the, a yeah. lot of things have been said on this podcast, and that may be the truest yet. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, and then there's just the fact, too, that even quite a few people who like DeSantis also still really like Donald Trump. Like, I, I don't know if anyone saw that Fox News clip where um, Brian Kilmeade from Fox and Friends was at a diner and was, like, really trying to search hard for, like, you know, DeSantis loyalists. And even when he lands on one who's wearing, like, a DeSantis shirt, she almost immediately started talking about how much she loves Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to overcome for someone who's not even in the race yet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great context and perspective. That that's absolutely right, Jared. And again, and and not to mention as as I think I've mentioned here before, um, very. And I'm not saying this couldn't happen. This could be different this year, but very rarely is the candidate who's hot in March uh, of the year before the caucuses the guy who's still the guy or gal who's still standing uh, almost a year later uh, maybe this year will be different in that respect but uh hello uh, tim palinti exactly and scott walker and and the, and we can go on and on and on uh with that list so um uh you know don't 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 uh plan your uh caucus vote just yet there's a there's a lot a lot a lot of time um Tom, as you mentioned, you you joined Sarah to help cover the Trump event on Monday, and uh, I believe this was you've you've covered them from afar in the past, you know, watching uh, online. Uh, but this was your first time uh, being at a Trump event live and in person. So, first of all, as a first timer, tell us what that experience was like. And um, and I think last week's podcast, I, I uh, uh, talked about the wonder that is the Trump pre-event playlist. Did I did I do it justice? Now that you've heard it. Uh, yes, you did. At the, at, at the same time, I still wasn't quite prepared uh, for music of the night from fan of the opera and uh, memory from from cats. In addition, I'm glad to, he's still doing that one. 
Yeah, in addition, in addition to a playlist that also includes quite a bit of Elton John, uh, you know, listen, having, the having people, the village. Yeah, well, yeah, in the village people. Yep, Macho Man, YMCA. Um, yeah, having having opera mixed in with you know uh, Lee Greenwood, uh, God bless the USA, and uh, and and YMCA and Tiny Dancer and Rocket Man. It was it was. <laughs> it's it's nothing if not eclectic. It, it it is that absolutely um but so you would ask you know what the experience was like covering a, a trump rally for the first time in person um you know i guess i had a pretty good idea of what i was going into having watched these remotely but at the same time um you it was it was interesting being there in person, getting just the sense of the the, the energy of the crowd and just how um, rabid I guess their support is for Donald Trump. I mean, just the amount of enthusiasm that that people have for him. I mean, you know, I guess it it, it was more. It, it felt more like a. Um, rock concert than political rally um you know a lot of screaming and cheering and chanting and um you could definitely tell that um you know this was more performance than um you know kind of uh <laughs> political event or you know substantive discourse on 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 policy um yeah Jared, I don't know if you have any thoughts. You you covered him back in what the fall? November, yeah. Uh, you you guys were luckier than I was uh, since mine was outdoors and you actually were you know in a nice warm uh, space. <laughs> um, no, that that's all in line. It's either like a rock concert or sometimes even more like a uh, like a stand up show almost, where like he's yes. clearly like workshopping like lines and, and stuff like that. That, um, that was my and, other thing. It is he very very much felt like a stand up comedian. Yeah, working his material on the audience because it was very much free flowing kind of stream of consciousness type of thing, just bouncing around from topic to topic, trying out you know, a line here and a line there. Well, and, and one in particular, you know, he's really been workshopping for a while now is how to kind of explain away being the guy that was president when there was the rollouts for the COVID vaccines, which, you know, quite a few people that are in his base are not necessarily the biggest fans of. And it's been interesting to see him kind of maneuver through that and try to land on on something that can maybe appease some of those folks. Yeah, that's an interesting one, uh, Jared, because uh, like you said, he's got a base that um, isn't maybe, uh, like you said, uh, fully on board with those things. But on the other hand, it, it he, to a different crop portion of the electorate, he can very much talk about how his administration helped get that ball rolling and, and it probably literally saved thousands, if not millions of lives. Uh, so it's a very interesting needle for him to uh, have to, to, to thread on that messaging. All right, let's move on now from the caucus trail to the Iowa Capitol, where the Iowa legislature has now given its blessing. And well, I suppose I should say Republicans in the Iowa legislature have given their blessing to Governor Kim Reynolds' sweeping state government reorganization plan. 
And as I wrote one morning uh, this week in the On Iowa Politics newsletter, the proposal returns to Reynolds' desk largely in the same condition in which she sent it off. In, in other words, despite the scope of the proposal, the fact that it's a nearly 1,600-page bill and myriad concerns were raised by myriad agencies and advocacy organizations, the bill passed the legislature with only one real amendment, and even that one was uh, fairly minor, uh, relatively speaking, again, to the to the scope of the bill, although it did address at least partially uh, some of those concerns that were raised. Um, Tom, you covered debate in the House this week on that bill. Uh, um, most Republicans, and I say most because um, not all Republicans voted for the bill, uh, but most clearly think this is a good plan that didn't need more than that uh, relatively minor tweak. Uh, I know you didn't hear from many of them because only one of them spoke on the House floor, but uh, what it did at least that House Republican, the bill's manager, have to say uh, to the critics of this bill? Yeah, so Republicans uh, largely echoed Governor Reynolds, who sent out a statement after um, the House passage of her proposal to reorganize state government, saying that for decades, Iowans have seen state government grow beyond its means, and that um, this is a way to make uh, government smaller, more efficient, more effective, and that uh, we'll be saving taxpayer dollars and putting uh, Iowans' needs first. Democrats called the bill a power grab by, by the governor, arguing that it would reduce government oversight and hurt the quality of government services for some Iowans. The bill um, would, uh, among other provisions, create more agency leaders who are appointed by the governor and subject to uh, Senate confirmation rather than being elected by state boards or commissions. Um, Representative Jane Bloomingdale, a uh, Republican for Northwood, who uh, is the bill's, was the bill's floor manager in the House, um, argued that Currently, 25 directors serve at the pleasure of the governor um, and are appointed by the governor under this bill. We're adding six um, and said that in, in pushback on um, the, the claim from or argument from Democrats that uh, this legislation would allow the governor to um, pick cronies or hire someone uh, that can't do the job saying that, look, the governor is going to hire the best uh, people she can find. And if they don't do the job, they lose the job. Uh, the proposal also gives the governor more leeway to pay directors higher salaries, uh, which Reynolds and Republicans said is needed to recruit and retain top talent and streamline higher salaries by eliminating the need for bonus bonuses. Bloomingdale said the salary scale hasn't increased in 15 years and that lawmakers still have oversight insofar as the salaries awarded still must fit within the budget approved by the legislature. Uh, Democrats argued that, well, why not just um, amend or change the salary scale uh, that's set out in Iowa code as opposed to giving the governor, um, I guess, more discretion um, to uh, to set salaries for these cabinet level positions. Um, the bill also would explicitly state that um, the state attorney general has the authority to prosecute cases without first consulting the county attorney and would give the state attorney general's office exclusive jurisdiction over elections related cases. Um, Republicans argued that 
you know, this just restates what's existing in law. Um, however, county attorneys have said that they worry that it could enable the Iowa attorney general to undermine their work. Yeah, it's 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 been an, a really interesting bill and debate to follow. And, and obviously it will be interesting to see what kind of impact it has once it's implemented and whether some of these concerns that were raised come to light or not. Um, I mentioned that there were a handful of no votes um, in the Senate on, or I'm sorry, in the house on this bill. And gosh, I should have written this down. Now I'm kicking myself. I don't remember if there were any in the Senate. I believe all Republicans voted for it in the Senate, but uh, I apologize for, for not um, being able to be quoted on that. Cause I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, based on my memory, but uh, for sure, five Republicans voted no on the bill in, in the House, and, and one of them was from up uh, Jared's way, uh, Northwest Iowa legislator, Representative Zach Deacon of, of Granville. Um, Jared, has, has he mentioned that at all? Has he talked publicly about the bill and, and what his reservations specifically were? And I guess I'm just curious um, how much legislators from your area have been talking about this bill. I mean, it's it's been consuming us here in our bubble under the Capitol, do you hear about this a lot up there, either from people, readers, or or your area state legislators? Um, of the stuff that's come up this session, this hasn't necessarily been one of the ones that's generated the most like chatter on you know like social media or just in like the the public discourse in our area. Not as much as like some of the bills related to to trans people or some of the education bills. Um, but uh, yeah, um, you know Zach Deacon did explain his vote on uh, Facebook and he had a few key reasons, including um, changes made to the, uh, now I'm reading from what his post was uh, changes made to the office of consumer advocacy were problematic is what he said. Um, I heard from constituents who said this office was a voice for their land rights and that changes to this office weren't needed. And then uh, the other big thing that Deacon pointed out in his um, Facebook post um, was kind of related to what Tom was saying about the AG's office. Um, Deacon said, the bill gives exclusive authority to the attorney general's office when it comes to election integrity issues. This would take away the power of local county attorneys to prosecute in instances where a county finds election issues, leaving it exclusively up to the state AG. I feel this is problematic. There's that word again, problematic. Um, as we must take the long view with all laws and consider how they will potentially affect our elections. Um, so th- those are the big um, two for him. And that, that second one is one, you know, you've heard quite a few people talking about with this bill. Yeah. And that's an interesting one that he pointed out. And and only because um, so, so much of this bill, this proposal, the vast, vast, vast majority of it uh, was informed by a consulting firm's report, so that so that the governor's office hired a, a, a consulting firm to sort of analyze Iowa's executive branch of state government and and look for efficiencies and, and make this big proposal. So we we got an almost seventy page report, and that's essentially what the bill is, plus a few things that weren't in that report, including that specific provision that Jared's talking about. That wasn't, that was nowhere. That wasn't something that the, the consulting firm looked at or recommended, recom, recommended regarding to the attorney general's office that came from, and we haven't ever gotten a straight answer from this, uh, from anyone in, in either office, either from the governor's office or from the AG's office. Um, we have been trying for weeks to get an answer to that and, and uh, still haven't been told 
who made that proposal, but bottom line, it was not in the consultant uh, report. So, so it's interesting that that's one of the things that hung up and created one of the few uh, no votes there uh, from Representative Deacon. And then the other, the other thing I, I would point out that is interesting with like him in particular is obviously we talked about this quite a bit last year during the, the primaries with the, um, you know, challengers in incumbent races in the GOP that uh, Reynolds backed. And Deacon was one of them against uh, an incumbent rep, uh, Dennis Bush. So, you know, it's interesting that we're not even through his first session and, you know, and what is a pretty big bill in terms of like the impacts it's going to have, he's voting against uh, the governor who definitely helped him, you know, get elected. Wow, that's a great point. I had forgotten that. You're absolutely right. That, uh, that's a really good point. Uh, thanks, Jared. Um, so that's one of, before we move on, just real quick, that's one of three huge bills that is on Governor Reynolds' desk right now. It's that one and uh, the gender affirming care ban and uh, the so-called bathroom bill. Those are all passed the legislature and awaiting the governor's signatures. We're hearing that we may see action on her signature on those next week, but uh, obviously something we're all watching for and, 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 and can talk about in uh, future episodes. Uh, but before we uh, wrap this one up, finally, uh, we want to catch the 1230 train to Davenport and talk about a big merger that has been in the works for a long time. Uh, I'm not even going to bother setting up this one because I haven't really covered it. I mean, I've been following it. I'm aware of it, but I haven't been, done the reporting on this. Uh, and we have someone who has. Uh, so, Sarah, uh, tell us all about this big merger and uh, what kind, do we know what kind of impact it will have on Iowa and what it will mean for Iowans and Iowa communities? Yeah, so and it's really only been in the works for a year or two. So, you know, not like a super long time. Um, uh, by comparison, our neighbors in Illinois are trying to get passenger rail um, from Moline to Chicago, and that has literally taken like 20 years. So um, uh, this, this, this is, but this is very different. This is freight uh, rail. This is two class one, two of the smallest class one railroads that want to merge. And they have had to go through a whole regulatory process and applying to a federal regulatory agency called the Surface Transportation Board. And they had to submit all this um, data and uh, the, the Surface Transportation Board's um, Office of Environmental Analysis issued a, an environmental impact statement. Um, so there's this whole long, years-long process. They, they gathered input from communities um, and they came to their decision on Wednesday to approve, I should say, they announced their decision on Wednesday to approve this merger between Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern to create the first single line rail network connecting the US, um, Canada, and Mexico. And so the companies expect that this single line efficiency will reduce costs for freight and attract truck traffic and freight traffic from other rail lines and will increase the amount of trains that run through Iowa and the Quad Cities over the course of several years. Um, and so Iowa uh, and sp specifically between Sibula and Kansas City, um, the, the train traffic is expected to increase the most out of anywhere on the route because all of the trains pretty much have to pass through here. And in, in, in Davenport in particular, um, so it's supposed to about triple the number of trains that'll go through. And so, um, in particular, Davenport, uh, the railroad bisects the riverfront. So there's a lot of events and things that happen there. So, uh, local, um, officials were really concerned about, uh, you know, this is a 
this is a business decision that's going to be affecting us locally. How, you know, how can we get the, get the railroad companies to help us with that? So, um, so several, several communities have uh, came to settlements with the railroad companies. And so those were contingent on the merger being approved. So now that that's been approved, those communities will get uh, those settlement monies and uh, some of the, some other local, um, Local folks who continue to express concerns are obviously disappointed by this decision. They think that um, this will this will negatively impact Iowa Quad Cities, even if it might have broad benefits for the U.S.'s economy and um, spur competition uh, between the different rail lines. So um, obviously, there's also heightened scrutiny on uh, rail, in particular, in the wake of uh, the. Norfolk Southern derailment in Ohio. And so this, you know, came at kind of a inopportune time. Um, uh, um, and so they acknowledged that in their statement, but, a, but also said that uh, they think that this, the board thinks that this merger will actually have a uh, positive impact on the environment and uh, safety because uh, inherently traveling Transporting by rail is inherently safer than um, by truck, but uh, local community members will say, well, that's great for, except for if you're the one community that has a derailment. So, um, and I should note that Canadian Pacific, they've had one hazardous material spill in like, I, I apologize, I forget exactly how many years, but it was several decades. So, you know, they've, they've have a fairly good safety record compared to other railroads. Yeah. Um, and I, and I presume uh, between those two things, but uh, probably more so the merger, we've seen a flurry of bills up here at the legislature about rail regulations. And uh, I know Tom covered one on the lengths of trains and uh, things like that. It, it really feels like some legislators have been gearing up for this and, and examining rail regulations. And I haven't followed all those bills, but there's been, there's been a bunch of them and, and some survived the funnel. I think some didn't. So I, 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 I I don't know how have the legislators in your area, Sarah, been working on those and talking about those at all? Yeah, so I talked with uh, one of the sponsors of the bill from Bettendorf, um, Scott Webster. He said that the legislature is kind of putting a pause on those bills while they figure out what kind of authority the legislature has in this area. Um, the, in particular, he's a sponsor of the train lengths bill. So um, he think he said that they had a meeting with the major rail and um, company representatives and are maybe waiting until the next session or, or at least giving allowing more time to to discuss what uh, what kind of authority the state has in regulating the feds or regulating the trains I should say compared to the feds yeah yeah I, I and I assume there's that that that's got to be part of the equation because obviously this is if there's ever an issue that you can see where why states might have to defer to federal regulations on these. Obviously, these trains go through multiple states, and you know you can't have a patchwork of some regulations that you know as soon as you cross the state border, all of a sudden you've got new rules uh, regarding you know your train and your freight and all that stuff. So, so it's it, it's it'll be interesting to see that play out. Jared, did I read your body language? Were you about to say something? I was there? gonna. I was going to say, since there's been this, you know, recent spate of uh, train-related uh, bills popping up, now's the time to blanket the state in quiet zones, you know? <laughs> I know if 
A number of Iowa communities have talked about quiet zones forever, so now now is the time. Seize the moment. <laughs> Seize the day. <laughs> oh, that's so true. All right. Uh, well, I think that wraps it up for our agenda. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jed. I, I have one last thing. And uh, anyone that is on uh, Twitter too much uh, yes. might have been following this this week, that uh, the Globe Gazette, one of the uh, journal's sister publications, one of the Quad City Times sister publications, was for some unknown reason permanently suspended from uh, Twitter. Uh, the editor there, Lisa, never got a good answer as to why. Um Never got but any are, answer at all, right? No, 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 no. Zero, <laughs> zero answers. Zero response from uh, Twitter or Twitter support or any of those other handles. But they are now back uh, on Twitter. Yeah, uh, yeah. So give them a follow because their follower count is uh, completely messed up now because of that. Uh, so do oh, a favor shoot. to a uh, hundred plus year old uh, North Iowa newspaper. Oh, so they're shoot. back now. They are, yes. But their Man, follower account like got messed up. News. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's awesome. Good to see. Good to see. That was frustrating. So Did frustrating. you ever get like a like a response on, hey, here's why we suspended you and now we've reinstated you? No. No, and, <laughs> and I guess we should note, uh, Jared, you were told that uh, Congresswoman Henson's office actually got involved in, in this? That is, that is correct. Uh, Lisa was messaging me earlier and saying that they, they reached out and said they were going to try to get in touch with Twitter to see if they could get anywhere with them. So Yeah, so there you go. Yep. Uh, even even the media talks to their representatives to to get things done sometimes. <laughs> All right, and actually, I did have one last thing too to to just cover before we go. Um, Vice President Kamala Harris came to Iowa on Thursday uh, to meet local Democrats and and abortion rights advocates. Um, so I thought just we should spend um, an equal amount of time here on the podcast to the amount of time that the vice president's event was open to the media. And that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. <laughs> if you enjoyed it, spread the word. And if you haven't already subscribed to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon, and now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team can subscribe to that newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And you can follow us all on Twitter too, including now again, yay, you can follow at Globe Gazette on Twitter too. You two and the Dubliners were not available, so we're happy to have New Trick play us out this week on St. Paddy's Day instead. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, and our producer Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening, and may the road rise up to meet you. She doesn't own a dress. Her hair is always a mess. She catches stealing, she won't confess. She thinks that I'm beautiful. She smokes a pack a day. No wait, that's me. But anyway, she don't care a thing about that. Hey, she thinks that I'm beautiful. Me, Virginia. She never compromises. She loves babies and surprises Wear high heels when she exercises Ain't that beautiful Meet Virginia I can't wait to Meet Virginia Well, she wants to live
those alligators. Mama works on carburetors. Brother is a fine media for the president. Well, here she is again on the phone, just like we to be alone. We just like to sit at home and rip on the president. Meet Virginia. I can't wait to meet Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she wants to be the queen when she thinks about her scene. Pulls her hair back as she screams. I don't really want to live this whole life. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.